soak drinking the beer itself. And this one is 5%. They just call it a sour flavored ale with apples, ginger, carrots, and beets. Oh, I, I really <clears throat> like this one. That would make sense with uh, the beets and the color. Seven seconds, six seconds. Cool. Time. Yes. <laughs> oh man, that carbonation gets to you. Well, it's a lot of carb. <laughs> <laughs> I was telling her before that Dave and I would line up like three of these. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it's like in a matter of ten minutes we would have three minute beer reviews done. And then uh, some of them would be like big beers. This one was 5%. We would do some Imperial Stouts. So <laughs> What? Oh, yeah, we geez. did all, all styles of beer. I uh, there are some styles I would struggle with, like, <laughs> like Avery. Medi yeah, Avery, uh, Medianoche from um, <clears throat> Wildworks. Yeah, Wildworks. they have some big beers. That one, so thick. Um, did have you ever had? It's Sam Adams. I think it's one of the like the booziest beers. Oh, you know what I'm talking they're about? like record breaking ones. Yeah, yeah. No, I haven't yet. <clears throat> That'd be. That'd be something to try. <laughs> try to check one of oh those in one gosh. minute. Oh, oh, man. People do it with 120-minute IPA. Do they? That's a good beer. Yes. I think I like the 90-minute. The That's like my go-to in the series. We just had some because we read uh, that book for the book club. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah, Sam's book. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> That's a good beer. 60 minutes, pretty pretty good, too. Um, as far as like in that level, I think Mercenary from Odell. Have you had that one? Oh, you love Mercenary. That's fantastic. And did you have Mercenario? No. So they aged them in tequila barrels. That would be good. Yes. That's not done enough. There isn't enough beers being aged in tequila barrels. I feel like there should be more of that. They, Just more tequila in general. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm, all, I'm okay with it. They also sent their barrels to um, the distillery. I'm trying to remember. I think it was Jose Cuervo. But don't quote me on that. And Jose Corvo did tequila in their beer barrels. Oh, like an inverse. Yeah. yeah huh. Which that'd be is fun. Awesome. Yeah. I love that they made that happen. Odell is is really cool. Yeah, they they uh, my first ever um so I have a kegerator at my house. What? <laughs> yeah, and the first ever keg that I got, this is probably a terrible idea. I mean I think it was fantastic. It was the old Lou Jean recipe from Odell. I really like their Lou chocolate Jean. stout. Yeah. Yeah, so I had an entire half barrel of that. That I sat on for a solid winter and it was amazing. Ooh. Yeah. We have a dream like tap list, and I think we decided we would have four um, consistent taps and mm -hmm. then four just rotating. Okay. What's the consistent? Like, what are the consistent beers? Uh, one of them would be like La Folie from New Belgium. Oh man, that's fantastic. He bought the the brewer. I can't think of his name. He bought me a beer one time. Um, so that was kind of great. So this oh, was, Peter? Was that was it Peter that? Bucard? Was it, did he have a Belgian accent? <laughs> he did not. Ooh, different he brewer. Did not different brewer, but it was the guy who made the actual recipe for La Folie. Yeah. Are you sure it wasn't Peter? It might have been. I just don't remember the accent. I mean, this was forever ago. What did, did he have? Like. He had a, he had a beard, head. darker hair. No, not Peter. Huh? I'm like I don't think it was Peter. I've met Peter before. Interesting. Yeah, if he didn't make the recipe, it sounded like he had heavy. Like to me, I thought it was his recipe that then got turned into La Folie. So Ooh, was it one of the owners then? <clears throat> no, just just the brewer. Yeah, yeah. I was at uh, what's that bar in Fort Collins? 
Samaritan. Tap and, tap and handle. Tap. I love tap and yeah. handle. Yeah. So it was tap and handle, and they had, it was like 2016 and 2017, lawfully on tap. So I wanted to do a side-by-side. Yes. And so there's a guy sitting at the bar, at the end of the bar, and I asked for um, a glass of each. And the guy's like, hey, uh, throw those on my tab. <clears throat> I'm like, nah, man, it's cool. You know, I can pay for it. He's like, no, no, it's my recipe. Let me let me pay for it. I'm like, wait, Aww. what? He's like, that's my recipe. Lawfully is my beer. <clears throat> I'm like, what are you talking about? And we ended up geeking <laughs> out on sours for like an hour straight, drinking lawfully with the guy who brewed lawfully. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, yeah, it's like one of my favorite. Have uh, you ever been to the lawfully release party? I have not. You gotta come with us. What's? I would love to. What's crazy is I live in Greeley and I've yet to go to New Belgium. That's okay. <laughs> I'll get you there. All right. <laughs> we, I've got a former coach who's a brewer now. Um, I just met one of their head brewers. His name is Ted. Um, I'm going to talk with him. Oh, yeah. We, we do the seller program, uh, which oh, yeah. is a monthly membership where you get like special releases. Sometimes it's just early release, but they do different small batch things. Yeah, that'd be fun. Yeah. it's Worth it? Oh yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Oh yeah. yeah, like I getting a chance to get to know the brewers and hearing what they have to say about the beers that are coming out. Yeah, is important to me. And then on top of that, we get to know like some of the marketing staff. That's has cool. been fun. Yeah, I, like most of the staff are awesome. Hmm. I feel like that's how it is with the industry, like craft craft beer lovers or people that are in the craft beer industry all seem to be such just positive people like we're just good people that want good beer <laughs> you know like there's there's very little uh i mean from from my perspective in the industry there's very little tension there's some like there's always little things that happen but for the most part it's pretty positive all around well yeah let's talk about like where you've been in the industry yeah so um it's there's a lot there too so the way it all started was uh, I was working at a liquor store in town, Coral Bay, um, and that was, I liked beer, but I didn't know beer. So I figured, how can I learn more? How do I get into it? It was work at a liquor store. And so from there, I started learning through the tastings that we did every Friday and just buying a six pack or, you know, getting free beers because of whatever shipping issues. Um, and I'm also a traveler. I used to do freelance travel photography and, and writing. So, um, I was working at the liquor store, I saved up, and I took a trip, um, a one-way ticket to Latin America. To, one to, way? Yeah. Yeah, so, no, I didn't have any plans of what I was doing. I was just, I flew into Latin America. My first language is Spanish, so, and I figured, it's kind of how I travel. I'll just figure it out as I go. And so, I went from Panama up to Costa Rica, and in Costa Rica, in this town called Puerto Viejo, there's a, a local brewery, and I walked in. And I ordered a beer, and the owner was there, the brewer, and the owner. And we ended up talking craft beer for like an hour. And so he's like, what are you doing right now? And I'm like, what do you mean? And he said, what are you doing right now, like like in life? I'm like, um, nothing. <laughs> Taking pictures, drinking beer? He's like, do you want to be my assistant brewer for a bit? And I'm like, I don't know how to brew. Like, I like beer. He's like, that's fine. I'll teach you. Like, I have a loft upstairs, so I don't know where you're staying, but... You can have the room three meals a day as long as you help me clean and, and brew. Oh I'm like, my yeah, gosh. yeah, for sure. So I ended up being like the assistant brewer, which is just cleaning for the most part. <laughs> um, still, it was it was a good learning experience, and that's called 
It was called Bree Bree Springs at the time. I think they changed their name. But that was my first experience in the brewing world direct was brewing for this guy. So How long did you do that? I was only there for a month. Uh, it was kind of a, it was a Rasta-influenced backpacking town. So there was a lot of, uh, like, drugs and a lot of other stuff oh. that, that was going on. And so, unfortunately, there were some circumstances around the place where I was staying that I had to leave out of safety. Makes sense. Yes. But uh, that brought me back here where I went back to the liquor store, and then I started working for uh, Crabtree Brewing for a while. Um, from there, I opened up my reptile store, and then part-time I worked at... Sorry about the grandfather clock. <laughs> <laughs> I like it, actually. It'll go... <laughs> it's going to go for a little bit. So we try to add character to the bookstore. And I, it's fun. <laughs> this happens every hour. It also happens early. I feel like all my alarms are set like three or four minutes ahead of time. So. I mean, just the fact that you found a grandfather clock. Isn't that cool? And it's still working. Yeah. That's the big and. Yeah. Yeah, one of my friends owns a, a clock fixing business, I guess. I'm not sure if there's like a proper term for it. But I heard it and I don't remember. Okay, I'm sure there is, but he—that's what he does. He uh, takes old clocks and fixes them. But, so I <laughs> came back to the liquor store, and then from there I started working at Crabtree. After Crabtree, I opened up the Reptile store, and then while I was at the Reptile store, I was still loving craft beer. I worked part time at City Star Brewing in Berthoud, and I still kind of—I'm um, there ran very randomly, but I'll go behind the bar sometimes. And then I was at Wiley Roots for, for a short stint, too. Which is just down the street from you, actually. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and I also worked there for yeah. a short time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a fun little gig. Yeah. Good sour program. I don't know if they're keeping up with it anymore. No? Sadly. Hmm. But, um, man, it's so random that I meet you through books and you know beer, too. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of over, overlap. I, I was think just, it, yeah, I it was goes just hand so excited. Hand. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Like, if you want to know more, you're going to have to turn to books. Yeah. I really don't know any brewers who aren't reading books That's or started point. with books because they, half of them started with home brewing. Right. Right. I mean, in the grand timeline, as far as, you know, alcohol, whether it's beer, wine, or distilling, I think kind of prohibition kind of set us back a lot. It did. You know? So it's it's kind of, it's, there's a lot we have to catch up on and are catching up on. <clears throat> and, yeah, we're all still learning so much. So having to revisit, you know, old recipes or styles or, uh, yeah, it's that's kind of the fun of it, though. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, honestly, I'm still shocked at some of our leftover prohibition beer laws. Yeah. As we go, it's like, uh, I just learned this last week. It wasn't until 1995, I believe, that Delaware allowed brew pubs. Really? And that was an active, like... (laughs) (laughs) Working towards that? Yeah, yeah. That was like, they had to go to lawmakers and push. (laughs) Specifically, Sam Caligione, Mm -hmm. I don't know if I'm saying, of Dogfish Head, said he had to change that law. Wow. To allow him to open his, the first one. Oh, jeez. 
And that's fairly recent history. Yeah. I wonder if it's like, um, I wonder what the percentages of states that are like that. Because Utah, for example, is still very strict. Difficult laws. Um, In fact, I'm becoming good friends with a Utah brewer. Their brewery is killing it. Hmm. Uh, But they mostly specialize in lagers, which is smart because they can't have anything 8% or above on tap. Oh, okay. Period. Yeah. So if if he makes an imperial stout, which he has, yeah, he has to water it down to put it on tap. Oh man. Or you can only buy the bottles. Yeah. Hmm. But here's here's the other weird part. Uh, their liquor license also covers spirits, so they can go behind the bar and make me a mixed cocktail that's much higher ABV than any of the beers that they're allowed to have on tap. That's strange. It doesn't make much sense. That doesn't make sense. They have, I don't know if this applies to all of them, but like you have to have a food item is what I heard. Like so after two drinks or a drink, I forget what it is, you have to have some type of food in front of you in order to keep drinking. Oh, I broke that law. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> we'll delete that. <laughs> <laughs> There was, there was also a law where, like, let's say there are no open tables. So I go to the bar, I order a beer, as I'm waiting for my table. If a table opens up, I cannot carry my beer to that table. A waitress has to do it for me. Huh. That's weird. Yep. Good service. <laughs> it is. Yeah, yeah. But I'm sure they have a lot of panic moments every time they get somebody from out of state who's like, who tries to carry their own beer. Over to their table, (laughs) absolutely. I think that would be, maybe sometimes those limitations are are fun though, in the sense that you can like push boundaries to try to, you have to be creative with it, you know? Like at that point you should be, have fun with it. Let's try to make an Imperial Session Ale. (laughs) Like, wait, what what is an Imperial Session Ale? Well, it's a Session Ale that's 5.1 instead of 4.1 you know just something ridiculous <laughs> that makes no sense you know let's have a low abv beer but let's boost it up a percent yeah yeah, yeah. And they're just like, like why like, well what we can't do anything else why not <laughs> i i gotta ask um so the the brewery that i'm talking about they're templin family brewing okay not familiar um kevin templin used to work at red rock mm-hmm. brewing which has been around in salt lake city for apparently quite a while Uh, and then he moved over opened his own and I'm curious if he's done any experimenting like that yeah just weird obscure beers yeah Yeah. because he's got so much experience brewing hmm that'd be fun we'll have to see yeah want to make like an obscure brewery at some point just weird weird things like that right hand beer instead of left hand beer you know (laughs) Skinny tire instead of fat tire. Skinny. <laughs> yeah. Just like all fun. the off. All, yeah, yeah, all the popular beers, you know. You just got to be careful of copyright. That's true. I feel like at that point, hopefully, they'd go along with it. You know, the 79-minute um, you know, IPA or <laughs> something you know, It, something it just depends on how much of a stick they have on right. their butt. <clears throat> Media noche and a half, you know, <laughs> something. That would probably upset a lot of people, actually. Maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> and and do you picture this bookstore? Because I know you're getting a liquor yes. license. Do you picture it with like 
these types of fun beers? Yes. So the idea is, so this, the bookstore that we're sitting in is 700 square feet, so it's pretty small. Um, I think it's pretty cozy and has some good characteristics, and I, I enjoy the layout. It is a little limited on space, and we're hoping to move by late summer to a larger location, which would be awesome. But I think the goal in trying to get beer and spirits here is going to be, I'm a big fan of collaboration. Like anyway, anywhere in any way businesses can collaborate, I think it'll just help amplify both businesses. So like Weldworks, for example, you have your Medianoche, which is, you know, midnight. So we have Midnight Oil, Medianoche. I think that would be a cool collaboration, you know, to have on tap here or in bottles. Um, stuff like that or have you know a local brewery brew a beer that's you know um 50 shades of blonde or something it could be a blonde ale you know but it ties into the book just random random stuff like that you know what i'm talking about i like it yeah i like it so that's that's the goal let's collaborate and let's throw in book titles but like tweak them a little bit to apply to the beer so i don't know that that does remind me of fiction brewing in Denver. Right. Yeah, because they have a lot of books, and I haven't been there, but I've heard they have a pretty cool setup with books everywhere. Yeah, and books are the inspiration for like each beer. Ah, uh, see, I need to go there. I'm missing out. They probably beat me to it. This is all old news. Oh, there's always more. Yeah, that even just having a collaboration or a collaborative brew with them would be epic. You know, fiction brewing teams up with the Midnight Oil. You know. And I think a lot of people don't understand about the industry the fact that collaborative is good and collaborative is what most small breweries want. Yeah. Like this is, we form partnerships. This is how the industry goes in the small craft beer community because it doesn't matter who gets you into craft beer. Once you're in, you're in. Right. And it's abundant. Like the, the scene is abundant. Also, quick name for fiction if they haven't taken it already uh the da vinci kolsch that should be um, <laughs> sorry i'm staring at i'm staring at a copy of the da vinci code right now i'm like that should be a kolsch that should be the da vinci kolsch that should be a beer if it isn't already i'm sure it is i love kolsches let's do yeah. da vinci kolsch yes please <laughs> maybe i just pummel the brewery with uh book beer ideas until yeah. until they say yes <laughs> <laughs> i'm just gonna i'm gonna hand write a letter and send one new letter every day there's going to be nothing it's going to say we'll just have the idea of the beer That's we'll it. just we'll just hand I'll just hand deliver them to the head brewer yeah hey, this until guy. he's done <laughs> hey, <laughs> s- <laughs> what's going on that'd be fun <laughs> alright so we should get into the main beer alright which we are doing 12th anniversary stout with cherries it's a limited 2021 release from Fremont Brewing in Seattle. And Big. it has like a very distinct wax drip down the front. It's a pretty drip. That I, I really <laughs> like, and I always try to keep them intact from the liquor store. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's pretty. It's a pretty bottle. Good presentation. Let's see. Like drinking a stout while the snow's falling in a bookstore. <gasps> Is it falling? Not, not right now, but that would be like the ideal setting for me. Oh my gosh. The only the only ad I would do is a fireplace. Oh, that's a good idea. Bookstore, fireplace, drinking beer, snow yes. falling. The new space might be able to fit in a fireplace, actually. Oh my gosh. Even if it's fake. <laughs> yeah. The ambiance is there. Some fire spread. 
some fire spread there. Yeah. Sorry, we're doing a book reference. I can't we can't help ourselves. <laughs> it's part of it. I get some interesting smells off of this one. Like meat? Do you get that? Yeah, do you? I don't I don't have the best nose though. And definitely some alcohol like ethanol smells. And then fruit. Definitely get some fruit. Definitely dark cherry. I saw some sediment as I was pouring it. Did you? Hmm. <clears throat> I like the taste though. Cherries come through like a dark chocolate. Dark chocolate maraschino. Yeah. It's kind of milkier than I was expecting. Hmm. I was expecting to be kind of like punched in the mouth by the alcohol. Oh yeah. It's pretty smooth. It's pretty... It's very approachable. Let's see what the ABV on you is. 11%. 11%. Not bad. I also thought about doing a 19%. Oh, yeah. But we <laughs> both got to drive home. Yes. Yeah. So, and we were Fair. already going to chug one. Yeah. How do you feel about the one-minute beer review? <laughs> that is so fun. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Some of them would that. be really, really hard. Like, can you imagine doing this? Like, this would be tough. I mean, it wouldn't be tough. But um, also, there was this was a thing we ran into as well. Sometimes the beers are like exceptional, and you're like, "Do we really want to drink this in sixty seconds?" You know, like, do we? Ah, oh, there's it's that uh, that toss up. Like, it's great for content and it's going to be fun and engaging. But also, this beer, for example, as it warms up, we're going to get so many different tasting notes coming through that you're going to miss all that. You know, so it's tough. I always feel like. The first sip and the first smell are unique, mm -hmm. and then from there, I don't ever get the same thing again. Yeah, yeah, especially with this style of beer. And and yeah, you're right. As it warms up, I mean, this one was room temp to begin with, mm -hmm. but yep. if I had poured it on tap, things would be changing drastically as we go. Yes. How do you feel about places that? Pour their beers into frozen uh, glasses. <laughs> it really upsets me, and it happened the other day mm. when I was out with coworkers. Yeah, and they, like, we all had a shared look, look, and exasperated. <sighs> <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> like, you know, if I'd known they were gonna do that, I would have asked them not to. Yeah. Um. First of all. You're trying to get the beer, the beers already should be at the right temperature. Yeah. You keeping it colder in a glass, not helping. Yeah. Second of all, you can dry sanitizer, or freeze sanitizer onto the glass. Yeah. Ruin the beer. Yep. Oh, <laughs> you know don't do that. <laughs> you know what's interesting? That this is from the, from the liquor store that I learned. The wine taster there that would try to bring in new wines. Um, so white wines generally are, are going to be chilled. Uh, some select red wines, very few. But white wines in general are, are typically chilled. So he would actually leave the bottles of wine, the white wine specifically, out um, and warm them up. Because he said the cold would hide all of the, um, the flaws in the wine. So like they're meant to be enjoyed cold, but also when you warm them up, you're going to get all of the off flavors or odd flavors or things that you don't want to come up. So he would drink them specifically warm to see, you know, what is actually there. 
I absolutely believe he's right. Um, 100%. Like, I, I was that kid who would have a bowl of ice cream and stir it and melt it uh-huh. before eating it. Yeah, yep. Not just, like, sensitive tea thing, but, like, a, I wanted more flavor. Okay. I don't want to. I don't want to freeze my taste buds. Yeah. Hmm. It's like how I eat my frosties. <clears throat> I only eat the melted side on the edges, and then I'll leave the rest so it'll like that way. I take my time with it and enjoy it. I never mix <laughs> it. I just just whenever it melts, I'll just get the little side. It's really <laughs> weird. It works for me though. <laughs> Head retention. Uh-huh. I mean, it's barrel aged, so this is what I expect yeah. it to like stay around the rim. Mm-hmm. But if we tap it, we maybe get a little bit more. And that, <clears throat> that itself, it's a nice, nice uh, caramel, light brown color. Yeah, the beer it's... itself is—you can't even look through that. That's thick. But... Yeah, but it's not as viscous as I was maybe expecting. Yeah. Maybe I've had too many Medianoches. Oh, maybe. That yeah. Viscous. The legs <laughs> on that are insane. Like, yeah. let, me sh- let me look on. So I'm swirling the beer when I look at what the legs on it are. And then I'm looking at through the glass to see how much color is retained on the glass. This one not legs like Medianoche no. where it like turns the glass brown everywhere it touches yes this one slightly tinged and then going away very quickly hmm. so here's a question for you in this this beer process learning asking questions being curious about beer if you had a friend that was new to beer now with all the information you've learned what style do you think you would start them on? Mm, I, you know, I'd ask them questions first. Yeah. And I'd choose based on their answers. Like, if if they were a big fruity cocktail person, mm-hmm. easy. Fruited sour. Fruited sour? Oh, Not yeah. like a fruited wheat? Or like a fruited blonde? No. Um, like a, Ber- a Berliner. Yeah, that's a good. Yeah, do you ever do uh, Berliner Weiss and orange juice? What? Yeah, yeah. For for like it's a, we used to have um, it was like turkey trot, right? So I think this is crab cheese. We do they would do like the turkey trot every year. Oh. Okay. <clears throat> and then in the and uh, we would go to the brewery and we'd have Berliner Weiss with orange juice. Yeah, very good. I would try that. I, def- I instead have of a it. screwdriver essentially, but a lot less alcohol. Super good. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I... Oh, well... So, yeah. Berliner for that, but if, if, like, I have to do it for knowing nothing from somebody... Yeah. Then I assume that they have had uh, a lot of those, like, big beer... Yeah, sure. American light lagers. Yep. And that that is where their taste at is at if they like beer. Right. If they don't like beer not going to give them anything close to an American light lager. Totally different. Totally different. Because they're expecting that. Right? Yeah. That's their... I feel like that's how it is a lot of people that don't like beer. They've experienced they've experienced tasting beer from that perspective. The American light lager, so they just kind of assume that that's this is beer. 
and I force myself to drink it. Yeah. In social settings. Right. Which is definitely my college, most of my college <laughs> experience under 21. Yeah. Was like, yep, here we go again. What was the cheap beer that you would drink? Um, so I went to other people's parties. It says and, whatever is free. Right. <laughs> nice. Right. Yeah. And most of the time that was Rolling Rock and yeah. Keystone. I don't like them. Yeah. Rolling Rock and Coors Light was, were the ones. Surprisingly, it was never Coors. Well, rarely Coors Light. Hmm. Camping. I... Camping was always Pabst. That was always, yeah. It was like the camping go-to. I I don't hate PBR. Like if I have to choose <clears throat> They want gold medal for the for their style. Did you uh, did you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sometimes when I when I was behind the bar and uh, I'd ask people what they'd like, like, well no, I don't really drink beer, I drink PBR. I'm like, yo, that's excellent taste. And like, what? I'm like gold medal for the style. I'm like, <laughs> you have a great taste in beer, let me get you into some new stuff. And so that would win them over. Yeah. Um, or like red wine drinkers in particular love sour beer. Makes so yeah. much sense. They are aged in good ones. Are mm-hmm. sorry, I'm gonna say good ones. The good ones are aged in fooders. Yeah. <laughs> Does New Belgium still have the like the biggest uh, souring program? Do you know? Mm. I know they used to. Their fooders are giant. Yes. Have you been back there? I've only seen images. I've never been there. Yeah. <sighs> okay, come with me. We have to go tour the fooder forest. <laughs> the fooder forest. I like that. That's yeah. That's what they call, Is that the call it. it? Oh, yeah. that's brilliant. Yeah. yeah. I'm about, I'm about it. It's it's really fun, and there are stories for a lot of them, of like how either how they attained the fooder and where it came from, or like we got this fooder from winning a bowling game. Crazy! <laughs> I kid you not. There's one. Man. <laughs> or like we got this fooder over brunch. We were talking to these. Um, there's now like a Cooper. I think they're still called a Cooper if it's a booter. But um, there's like American fooder maker. Okay. Uh, I can't remember the f- name of the company, but it's something like that. Hmm. And Lauren, the head brewer now, mm-hmm. uh, had brunch with them and they had an awesome time just <laughs> chatting and afterwards they just gifted new belgium this brand new fooder dang i wonder how how many of these um like agreements not just like that specific but how many of of those moments or exchanges are from people just kind of getting a little tipsy you know and like oh sure i got you yeah i'll i'll totally do that for you and then they sober up the next day and they're like oh no i just told them <laughs> i was going to give them a cooper you know <laughs> like well we got to go through with it <laughs> or if that happens, I'm sure it probably does. But probably then it, it kind of goes back to the industry that everybody's so generally very positive and willing to help each other. So yeah, I, you know, I also maybe I want to collect a lot of those stories too. Yeah, like I fun. know I know a bunch of them, and I in Sam's book I read, I don't know, he had like six, six good stories in there. But, like, not every brewery is putting their stories out. They just spread them amongst the employees. Right, right. May or may not keep a record. That's part of the personality, though. Yes. You know, that's that's kind of the character of the brewery, at least when you get to know it. So, yeah, the more those stories you can get out, I feel like the more people will tie into uh, 
the beer itself or with the brewery. It's like um, when people go on brewery tours. So you could go to, let's say there's a brewery that has a one-star rating. This is terrible. But let's say they offer a tour where they break down the entire brewing process, what kind of malts they use. Uh, they kind of dabble into the entire experience. Meanwhile, they're brewing, so you get those aromas coming through. Oh, so if, good. Right. It never gets old. Um, and if you're a first-time beer drinker, or even if you're not a first-time beer drinker, but you have that experience, and at the end of the tour, they're like, this is what you just walked through and smelled and learned about. And it could be whatever style of beer. When people taste that, it'll happen to be like the best tasting beer of all time because they've grown with the beer the entire process. So they naturally gravitate towards wanting to this to be exceptional. And it may mm. not be exceptional, but the storytelling, the weaving, the scents, the, the sounds... It goes into that beer that you drink to make it phenomenal. So in that case, would you say they don't get a beer in hand as they tour, but they have to get it at the end? Maybe it would be like something light for the tour, but intentionally plan something a little bit more robust as you're going through it Ooh. and then offer that at the end. Like today we're brewing, you know, this, what this, for example, this Fremont Stout, like this is going to be the base beer for this future uh, barrel-aged stout with cherries, you know. Ooh. So if you're looking, you can see this dark this dark malt going in, this dark roasted malt. That's where you get chocolate notes, right? And then they're seeing it. They're seeing it. <clears throat> the brewer's in there mashing in. Um, you're smelling it. You know, the steam's coming up. They're walking through the entire process. And they're like, now if you wait with us, you know, if you, if you happen to hang along or you tag along with us for the next year, this is what that's going to taste like. And they present it to you in this Ooh. wax sealed bottle, you know, a little sample, room Ooh. temp. They're going to taste in the big, this is, how can I get in on this? I'll take, I'll take a box, you know, and then they're going <clears> to, <throat> if they really want to top it off, like this age, this will age fantastic, fantastically. So if you buy a box, try one every three months for the next, you know, um, handful of years, and it's only going to get better. Or you save some for a vertical where you drink exactly like, yeah you yeah. know 2021 2022 2023 and you know just go on down the line yeah we've we've done that for a couple that'd be oh, fun so good yeah i got my hands on a 2000 lawfully a 2000 lawfully 2000 lawfully <laughs> When are you breaking that out? I already... We opened it. Did you? Yeah. Oh. How <laughs> it was, was it? Did it smooth out? Yes. It was different. Yeah. Um, Not really tart. Okay. More just like... First of all, you could tell it was a different recipe. Yeah. 100%. Right. I got a lot more malt notes than I do with today's Lawfully. Sure. It was... Yeah, it was it was different. Like a present day lawfully always has like that initial like tartness right off the first sip. Yes, which is sometimes it's my favorite part. I imagine that probably wasn't there. Like, no, not yeah. at all. Nope. In fact, it had more of like that tail end of a wild ale. Yeah. Where you're just like, what? What are? You, what is this flavor? Yeah. You know, and you try to put your finger on it, and right. it's not quite like any food. Hmm. Yeah. Just those yeast characteristics that are interesting or whatever the, the food are contributed. Yeah, it intrigues you. 
Mm-hmm. So, was this for a special occasion, or was it for, was it like a random night where like, yeah, it's, we have time tonight, let's break this down, let's enjoy this. So, my husband's brother, his favorite beer in the world is La Folie. Hmm. So, we waited for a time when he would be in town from Florida yeah. to open it. Okay. Because he and needed to taste it. Yes, of course. Is how he, that's his favorite beer, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's like, generous. For his wedding day, yeah. his wife-to-be ordered him a case of La Folie and had it like delivered to surprise him and his groomsmen. Really? Uh-huh. She's a keeper. <laughs> That's awesome. I don't think she even likes beer. Um, huh. I've only she ever just... seen her with wine. Yeah. But she knew he loved beer, and she knew that was his favorite beer. Yep. Yeah. It's yep. impressive. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we keep talking about sours, but this stout is it's <laughs> good. I like, good. I like the cherry notes, even if they're not, even if they're subtle. Mm-hmm. And definitely dark cherry nut. Yeah. It's pretty... That's kind of sweet, too, I think. <clears throat> now, I'm not... I have to clarify, too. I, I don't really... I'm not a sweets guy. I never have been. So I feel like what's sweet to me is not sweet to other people. <laughs> yeah, but I feel like I don't get the sweetness until, like, the second half of the sip. Hmm. And then it lingers. It hits the back. Yeah. In the back. Yeah. yeah, the back of the tongue. Did you ever do those tests uh, in like elementary? You take like a cotton swab and you put in some sour and you taste a different, you put it on different parts of your tongue to see where the receptors are. No, I haven't no? done that. That's fun. That would be fun to do with beer. Yeah, you would um, yeah, you'd take cotton swabs and you had like four, I think it was like four places on your tongue with different receptors that taste different things. So like, this might not be accurate, but like the tip of your tongue may not register sour but the back of your tongue and the left part of your tongue would. And so the whole experiment was, you know, okay, what part of your tongue tastes sweet? What tastes sour? What tastes uh, safe? I guess umami probably wasn't a thing back then, but, you know, all these different things. And um, on mine, I just put <laughs> yes to all of them. Like, I taste them everywhere. <laughs> and it probably wasn't accurate, but I was like, I'm pretty sure I taste it. It's like a mental thing. Yeah, how much is in your head? Yeah, right. Like, if I didn't know that this is supposed to have cherries, would I identify the fruit? Right. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. That'd be, that should be like a, if there is a tasting course, there should be like bowls or plates with all these flavors that you should be looking for. And you just taste that first before even tasting the beer. Like here's some coriander. Just take a huge old, you know, mouthful of that and identify that. Here's this. Here's this. Here's, for this case, ginger. Here's some beets. Do you taste that in this beer? I guess that was the last beer, but you know, like that would yeah, be a good yeah. way, good way to learn. I mean, I'm I'm still learning that, um, like we have a, a chef uh, who's from India, mm. and he definitely has some spices and flavors that I'm not familiar with, have not had before. That's fun. Where it's like, you know, he might drink a beer and identify another flavor because, right, he's had something closer than I have. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting to think about. I, I actually had a manager at another brewery who would say that kids would be the ideal tasters for everything because their okay. taste buds are fresh and undamaged. 
except mm -hmm. they have no experience. So they wouldn't be able to identify? No. Hmm. I mean, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah it takes so accurate. much time right. to learn each thing, each flavor, and then learn the terms associated with each one. And sometimes if you don't have the term, then you don't, you can't identify it. Yeah, right. You try to describe it the best you can, but you, you don't know what that word is that is. Yes. Yeah, that element of the beer. And that is so much a struggle when somebody comes into a tap room. I think you've experienced uh, yeah. this. Yeah. Where it's like, what do you like? What do I get for you? Right. Yeah. Tell me. Tell me what, what like, sip this. Tell me what you think. Yeah, is it good? Is it bad? And if they can't, if they don't have the words to tell you, then it's much harder to figure out where to go. Right. And to some extent, I think a lot of it kind of goes back to the storytelling. Like, mm. you can kind of influence what they taste, you know? Like, you can take almost any stout and say, you're going to taste, you know, chocolate and uh, this woody, like a kind of a wood taste if it's barrel aged. Or you kind of influence that for sure. Um, you said wood and I tasted wood. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> as you're saying it, as yeah, as it's happening, um, yeah. There's a lot. There's a lot in trying to find that beer or that taste for somebody. That's kind of the fun part. Do you ever do slight topic change? Do you ever do blind flights? I feel like you would do this. Ooh, I mean, I did once. One of uh, one of the things we used to do, we'd go to Old Chicago because they have like. 70 beers on tap and you can get flights there and so we would have the bartender give us a mix of five and not tell us anything about it and we'd have to try to identify what it was in the menu oh that's really fun yeah i'm gonna do that i feel like that would make you grow yeah drew drew and i have done that um with beers with we will do blind tastings oh yeah um where like the only way you can do it at your own house is with kind of with two people right because you can't cheat. You can't, yeah. So what we'll do is we'll take the beers and we'll pour them into a pint glass mm -hmm. or something else, whatever, to pour it. And then the other person, the person who poured the beers yep. goes away. And the other person pours them into smaller glasses. Okay. And they have, like, numbers, like one, two, three, four. Yeah. Or if, if they have distinct characteristics, then the second person remembers, like, which different glass which pint came from oh what it applies to sure yeah mm -hmm. but you know second person doesn't know what was in the pint first person doesn't know which small thing is which yeah double blind yeah i like it do you again how important is how important is the visual representation of a beer in style do you think like if if you had a completely blind test where you couldn't see anything you just were able to you had a blindfold on literally we have done that too have you okay because you could definitely taste i think you could be pretty accurate with your guesses but i think even having a little bit of a visual would be a huge giveaway or tell and maybe yes. that would influence what you're tasting yes it totally yeah. does um last time we did the blind blind tasting with the blindfold mm -hmm. I got so much in my own head <laughs> about it. So we had two sours. We had La Folie, mm -hmm. and we had an import that tasted pretty amazingly close. Okay. 
amazingly close and I kept getting in my head of like, I know this beer, I know this beer, I should be able to identify this beer. If I can't, that says something bad about me. Oh no. You know, like that <laughs> and I then don't you really get in your head. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm terrible at drinking beer. I know nothing. I don't know anything. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, I should never have done this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How'd you do? How do you generally do on this test? Oh, so it's fun when you have a beer that you're like don't know what style it is. Mm-hmm. Let's start, like, assessing and eliminating as we go. Yeah. Okay, look at the color. Okay, well, it's uh, definitely not a light beer, so we'll cut out all the lagers. And, well... No. Well, yeah. we'll, call it, we'll cut out all the light lagers. Do you, do you go, like, on an SRM scale, or do you just go, like, light, uh, kind of dark, dark? Like, is it like, okay, this, has, this is like an SRM of, like, 36 to 38, pretty much black. I don't think I'm good enough from visual to be like, the SRM's this. Yeah. I, I'm working on that. But also, like, a lot of that's viscosity and tricky, tricky. If you yeah. haven't put it in your mouth and felt it. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, I, I eliminate as I go and then, like, smell. Second level start breaking off okay well if i have this smell i can eliminate all but like 90 percent like all 90 percent of everything yeah gone Mm -hmm. like if like with belgian beers belgian beers are so distinct like there's so much going on there Mm -hmm. i think that's why i struggle with enjoying them like i'm not the biggest fan but i think it's it's like um i'm trying to think of how to compare it onions okay i'm not a big fan of onions because it's so it's like a slap in the face of flavor like, you ch- in, as soon as you bite in, it just, like, explodes in your mouth. And it's not a bad flavor. It's just a lot of flavor. Like, some Belgian beers are kind of like that. Like, it's just too over the top for me with certain distinct It's just really flavors. intense. Yeah. That makes sense. That so, makes like, sense. I can enjoy Belgian. Depends what kind, but I can appreciate it with time or, like, kind of sit on it for a little bit, but I can't just casually drink it. Yeah, yeah. I I mean, I'm not going to the liquor store and being like, oh, Belgian. Belgian, yeah. Yes. Yeah, I want a trip hell. <laughs> yeah. Here we go. Yeah. For, for this random Friday night. Mm-hmm. No. No. Uh-uh. Like, you have to set yourself almost. Yeah. Be like, I am drinking this trip hell. <laughs> <laughs> Preparing yourself, like in the mirror, self-talk. <laughs> You're going to enjoy this. You're going to appreciate the different characteristics. You're ready for this. You're ready for this. You can handle it. You got you this. You got this. <laughs> yeah. It's a higher ABV. <laughs> got yep. it. Yep. It's me and Belgians. It's like, <laughs> yeah. What's your favorite style? Is it sours? Uh, sours and barrel-aged stouts. All right. Are you anti-kettle sours? Uh, no. There's a time and a place for them. <laughs> the sigh. <laughs> it well sometimes they just make me sad because I look at the rich history of traditional s- traditional and and then I look at like people just trying to make it quick so they can you know make the beer pump it out. make the money pump it out yeah and then it makes me sad but also like I've had some really good ones yeah. 
Where right. it's like, okay, okay, maybe stop being so elitist <laughs> yeah. to myself. Yeah. But I really like sour. Yeah. Like, I was that kid who would put all the warheads in my mouth. Oh, yeah. Yep. Or, or like, I, I went on a crusade to find the, the best sour candy. Did you find it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it ended up being a goo. A goo? Is it like the... It looks like toothpaste. Mm-hmm. It, came, one... it came in like this little little goo thing. It said goo on it. I don't remember. Okay. Um, but you, I would cut it open to get every last. <laughs> all of it. All of it. Yeah. Because I wanted all the sour. It's intense. And I gave myself sores oh, on my man. tongue. Because <laughs> I, I was out of control. Yeah. Sweets too or just sour? <laughs> just sour. Just sour. Just sour. Oh. Hmm. Yeah. So having that flavor... Like, when I discovered sour beer, mm-hmm. was so exciting. <laughs> it, just, it just discarded all other all other styles of beer. Oh, like, I was, nope, I'm done. This is me. That was such a happy day. This, I was like, this is real? Uh, <laughs> what? At this point, the podcast is going to shift to being an only exclusively <laughs> sour beer podcast. <laughs> if you don't like sour, step away now. Put, put, put it down. <laughs> Only sours. Only sours, all the time. I like it. But yeah, I oh I love I love that really sour flavor and you don't seem to get it in kettle sours. That's the thing. If, mm. if it's not food raged. Yeah. I'm all right, really, so yeah. You may know this more than I do. Most barrels have have a timeline, they have an expiration date. Not necessarily, but you get about three solid uses out of a barrel. How does that work with fooders? Because fooders seem to be just kind of used over and over and over and over again. Yes, correct. Like there's, and there's like good fooders that have in particularly good traits that yes. get put into beer. Yes, yes. Um, you can keep using them. Uh, I, honestly, I really want to interview Peter about Bukhar that. About yeah. that because he knows know. more than anybody else. But I know that those fooders at New Belgium have been around for... Oh, some of them have been around for 30 years. Yeah. So they're putting batches in them continuously. Right. And there are special barrels. Specifically, I'm thinking of PH1, which was Peter's barrel, and is now the the traveling barrel. Yeah, it goes from place to place? Yes. That's pretty good. Yes. Yeah. So um, I know it went at, to Russian River and made beatification mm-hmm. the that. the first i don't know how many batches of beatification uh and it's it's continued to travel and peter's gotten it back in his newer brewery purpose hmm. and he made a batch I with like it purpose. Yeah. it was that was the first one i got to taste from that i knew was ph1 yeah and then i know it's traveling right now i wonder if it has an instagram account it should <gasps> they should yeah, yeah. That'd be cool. Give it a personality. Yeah. I mean, it's... I mean, it has personality. It's made <laughs> some really good beers. Yeah. So, I mean, I've only had one of them. But those are the collector beers. Yeah. That people are looking for. Yeah. It's crazy to think about that. Like, even in... in when I was in college, so 12 years ago... Like, craft beer wasn't, like, that tire was craft, you know? Yes. That tire is like, have you tried this? This is, like, the greatest Mind-blowing. thing. Mind-blowing. Right. And now it's just, like, low, 
low tier craft beer. That sure. makes sense. Like it's very it's very common. You can get it anywhere, you know. But not many craft beer drinkers talk about Fat Tire. But that was like the entry. That was the entry beer into craft beer. It was my first craft beer. Yeah. Yeah. In the nineties. Yeah. See, I think it was. I think it was mine too. I remember my aunt drinking it. Um, I was younger. I don't think I could drink, but I tried it. I'm like, oh, exactly. this is this isn't uh, an American light lager. You know. No, this is different. Well, I I mean I didn't know anything at the time, but that was like the beer that was in the house. Yeah. Yeah. I talk about this on the American light lager episode where. Um. Yeah. It, I had fat tire, but when we went out, we did not get fat tire. It had to be a macro. Okay. You know. Yeah. Like Coors. Yes. Hmm. But I saw my dad refuse to order, you know, outside beer. And only when we were at, a, like, a baseball game hmm. did he have a beer. Mm-hmm. And I didn't like it. <laughs> no. I mean, I didn't like any of them. They let me try everything. I didn't yeah. like. I didn't like their wine. I didn't like their beer. It wasn't until I tried like my first cocktail that I was like, "Oh, oh. this is why you drink." Yeah, yeah. Like frou frou cocktail. <laughs> you know what it was for me as far as alcohol was. So my entire family is from Mexico. Like I was the first one born here, but uh, as per, I don't know what Mexicans do. We drink tequila, you know, and so I. I would argue to say most Mexican families will, at some point, in the raising of a child in the family, give them a little sip. You know, like of course, you know they're twelve, thirteen. Like, all right, you're old enough. Here's a, here's a little sip, just so you know what it tastes like. And I remember they were doing shots of tequila, and they <laughs> and they asked if I wanted one. And I looked at my mom, and mom's like, "It's okay," because I was I was always a really good mom's boy, so I didn't want to upset her. And uh, so I got a shot of tequila, and they had the salt and the lime ready, and. Um, I remember taking the shot and not wanting any salt or lime. I'm like, this is good. What? You're one of those. <laughs> I was. I love tequila. Yeah. Oh, my and gosh. And I remember tasting it. I'm like, I don't know why they use salt and lime. To this day, like, I won't. I guess if it's like Jose, I'll probably use it, you know. But um, it's probably Jose at the time that I drank it. But even then, I'm like, yeah, it's not that bad. I could do it without the lime. I struggle with tequila. Do you? Yeah. Yeah. I want to like it, but it hurts me every time. Yeah. You try to get tequila? Or like, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, even agave syrup hurts me. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Huh. What about like whiskey, rum, vodka? Not the same. No. No, it's just tequila. Interesting. Yeah, I tried really hard with it. And mm, even margarita mixed still hurts me. Yeah? Yep. Huh. One of my friends... Uh, Elizabeth, who's just here, she didn't realize there was such thing as sipping tequila. And I guess it's not, maybe that's not as common knowledge. No, no, it's not. Yeah. I, it wasn't until I went to Mexico and toured yeah. some of these distilleries that I learned that. And even then you didn't like it? <sighs> or was it part of the storytelling? You're like, actually, this is good tequila. I mean, I was able to enjoy some of them. Mm-hmm. But I, I also understood that I couldn't have more than a sip right right yeah of course because i you know i didn't want to ruin our vacation by yeah consuming too much well just in general like even even if it's not even if i don't have alcohol poisoning it it gets me in another way yeah like Hmm. headache or my stomach is upset 
Oh man, that really messes with you. Yes, it does. And I, <coughs> it's sad. I wanted to get over it, and I, at this point, I've given up. Hmm. I'll try. One day, yeah, like, I'll, <laughs> I'll find one. I have an idea of one. We have we have a coffee one from Mexico. A coffee tequila. I bring you, yeah. I tried. Um, I don't think I've tried a coffee tequila. My cousin was just in. I think they went to Cancun. Him and his family. But he brought back like a coconut tequila. That was really good. Like super creamy. Very mm. subtle on the tequila. Um, but you can still, it was like boozy coconut milk kind of. Really interesting. That sounds fun. Yeah, it was It was really good. <laughs> uh, we had it for, I think it was, yeah, it was Christmas. Christmas this last year. That was a good one. I just keep getting distracted by books. <laughs> um, so I, I didn't tell you, but we have a section at the end of the podcast of the regular long episodes that I've been doing. Yes. Where we do like a book to read while drinking this beer. Okay. Yes, I love that. <laughs> yeah. It's our our digestif. All right. So uh, I do an aperitif at the beginning mm-hmm. where we're doing like, I'll show you my book. All right. Um, I have like beer poems or beer quotes or beer like yeah something that just was kind of fun or moving yep and last time we did like i did the intro to one of the books and uh my friend did a poem that's at the beginning yeah (laughs) but that's why like books are 100 percent for me a part of the beer drinking experience too yeah yeah where like you know you it started when i was reading uh michael jackson not not the singer michael jackson right. there's a a beer reviewer who was like the he pioneered of beer reviewers yes he pioneered the whole like writing down mm-hmm. of of beer um in his book he goes through a section on old ales And he talks about, like, old ales are perfect for sitting by the fire with a classic novel. Yeah. And reading. He would be reading Hemingway for sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It'd be Michael (laughs) Jackson reading Hemingway, Hemingway sipping on an old ale. I can see that. Oh. (laughs) That's great. But also, like, I gotta read enough books to pair one with every style. Yeah. You know, and the other thing that was difficult in the beginning is, like, how do you pair these? Like, what characteristics of book and what characteristics of beer do you use? I think it's expansive, too, though. Like, it doesn't, oh, even, yeah. have, it doesn't even have to be the book. It could be, like, a character. Like, dive into the mind of so-and-so. Ooh, okay. And he or she pairs well with this. And you're like, they do have a tanging personality. They do have that tart character. That's why it makes sense to drink, you know, to have this beer with them. I like that. You know, like there's some, yeah. There's, or like so author? Author. Author yeah. characteristics? Uh, yeah, all of it. Why not? I'm totally thinking of Glenn Cook. Yeah. Have you read any? I have not. Okay, so. I have not. Glenn Cook, um, I believe he was in the army, uh, but he got out. And they spent a lot of time in the army when you have nothing to do. A lot of people end up reading. Mm-hmm. A lot of people end up playing D and D. I can see that. <laughs> or yeah. drinking. Yeah. Yep. You know. Yeah. And he had read all these sci-fi and fantasy books, 
that were like high fantasy, where your main characters are royalty, or your main characters are close to royalty. Yeah. You know, like they're the highest end people. And he was like, what about me? What about the soldier? Nobody's telling our story. Hmm. You know? Yeah. So what would a fantasy book look like from the position of the grunt right who's fighting all these battles for these sorcerers right yeah hmm so that's that was, yeah he wrote a series on that that's great i need to look into that mm-hmm. it's a little obviously there's some darkness yeah a little dark I'm all about um but also it's interesting uh from his main character's perspectives is it always from the kind of that grunt, low-level perspective? He's written different stuff, but there's one series that's all it's from... It's just from that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's probably one of those, you take the characters for granted or their lives for granted, but once you actually learn about the depth that even they two have these dynamic lives, you probably get entrenched with the character, I'd imagine. There are times where we lose characters and our main perspective character doesn't necessarily do a full eulogy. Mm-hmm. He just kind of acknowledges them as a good person and a brother and moves on. Whoa. Uh, and I, I kind of think Short that's and simple. because he can't, either he can't afford to, mm-hmm. or he's he's sharing those thoughts and feelings out loud and he's not going to write them for us. Huh. But yeah. it's it's really interesting. Yeah, I need to dive into stuff. I'll bring you books. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I can do that. I'd appreciate that. I could always use more books. <laughs> I mean, we're only we're only staring at. We're only surrounded uh, by thousands of books, but it's yep. cool. We can always use more. Oh, there's there's also an anime where uh, the main characters are living in apartments full of stacks of books. Ah, uh, that's awesome. I would love that. And like, we're talking to the point where you can't walk around and every time you move a stack falls yeah it's like chaos <laughs> man <clears throat> there's a place called um i'm spacing it it's in council bluffs iowa and they like in 1999 they hit the one million record mark for sale or like for for records for sale or available but it's like an old it's a huge old house and so the main floor is all records, and then all the side rooms and going upstairs is just nothing but old classic books. Fantastic. But that's that's what I think of. Like, you move, you turn, and you hit books or a stack of books, and you have to catch them before they fall over, or else they're going to, you know, the entire uh, domino effect. The next thing you know, it's just, yeah. What's that place called? I don't know. That'd be Great fun. place. Yeah. We went to Meow Wolf in Denver, and there's a book room. Ooh. Yeah, what'd you think about that? That that cool, the cool uh, leather couch underneath the archway of books. I mean, I was disappointed that I couldn't open most of them. I checked too. Yeah, I'm like, they actually had some like it was. It was kind of. I don't know how to describe it. Like you're like, this is amazing, and then you look at some of the titles, and you'll see some of your favorite books in there, and you're like, no, what? Like, why did you have to? You nailed this. Why did you have to? Yeah, why did you have to nail this book? Mm. Like, this is one of my favorite, and now nobody's ever going to read it again, ever. I mean, you could always reprint it, and a lot of those books, there's 
you can get them, you can order them, whatever. But still, you see them nailed, and nobody's ever going to enjoy that one book ever again. Only in passing, visually. And for weirdos like us, we were like, I know what that book is. <laughs> I know the story it contains. <laughs> but yeah, that, that was a good exhibit. I like that. I mean, books are have been a very big part of my life. Yeah. Yeah. Except for when I, I don't know, college when you have no time. Oh, man, I was such a terrible student. Me too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's just you hit that level where you're like, friends or an A tomorrow? Friends. Friends. <laughs> hmm. Yep. Okay. Or like finish this chapter in this book that I'm reading or read my textbook. Hmm. Mm, not chapter, my yeah. yeah, chapter. Finish the chapter of this book. Yeah, yep. and then you fall asleep, or you fall asleep doing that. Yeah, that I don't even know how many times it's happened. Yeah, I mean, even as a kid growing up, I had a Nintendo, like or not Nintendo, a, a Game Boy. I'm sorry, like the old, um, like Ray Bricks almost. Um, and then I got the color Game Boy, and it had a little light attachment. And I remember I had my Game Boy with a book in front of it, and the light attachment hovering over my book so that I could read it <laughs> under the covers when I was supposed to be asleep. Oh, yeah. I cannot tell you how many lights like that my brother and I went through. Yeah. And our parents kept buying them. <laughs> and you would imagine, I mean, I guess in hindsight, you're like, they, how do they not know that I'm re- staying up reading oh, late? Oh, they totally know. They knew. They knew. And, and also, like, suddenly it just says to you, this is an allowed activity. Even if it's post bedtime, right? When you're not, when you're supposed to be asleep, getting... we would, yeah, we would like you to sleep. Yeah, but if you're gonna do something, this one's allowed. Right, you're allowed to break this rule because you are reading. Whether it's for fun or for educational purposes, you are you are now consuming something that you're going to pull something away from. Now, if you look at the older generations who didn't have those, mm-hmm. my grandmother always talks about how she ruined her eyes. Really? Because she would go to the window and try and read by the light of the moon. Man, that's intense. That's intense. Well, I mean, the name of the bookstore, The Midnight Oil, Burning the Midnight Oil. That's where the entire concept comes from, you know? Like, readers like us, staying up late, but back in the day, you didn't have electricity, so you lit the lamp and you read by lamplight, you know, burning the midnight oil. Or work or study, I think it applied more to working, but still... We would be. We would definitely be reading. Hundred percent. Well, okay. For this beer, is like, is there something that comes to mind for you? As far as reading a book. Yeah. Hmm. Reading a book. Style cherry. You have to give me a little bit. I mean, you think can, about it. You can also do like a book that you would read with this beer. Sure. That sure. doesn't necessarily have to have a connection to the story. Okay, um, this is going to be one that people will know, but probably have not read. I am Legend. <gasps> I read it. Have you read it? Yes. Okay. I enjoyed it. Yeah. So it's. I don't know if this is how it's always printed. So I got the. It was like a series of his stories, of the author's stories. Yes. Yeah. Because it's, it's really like a, a a novella almost. Like it's very. It's a short book. It's a short read. But I think the darkness of that book. And how he explains humanity while drinking this beer could be really good. I mean, and you've got red for 
Yeah. Cherries for blood. Yeah. Right. There's yeah. So that's what I was thinking exactly. <laughs> you know, the death and stuff. And the end scene of the book. I don't know if you remember or not, but like the end of that book is one of my favorite endings of all time. And the movie is nothing. It's there's no hint of that in the movie at all. Uh, the movie is fantastic too, but uh, the book is just that last scene blew me away. I I can accept them as alternate universes. Yeah. Yeah. Because in that, I mean, in those, they're so different. Right. It's like same general idea, but the, the outcomes in the storyline of the main character, um, the protagonist, and what happens, even with, if you watch the movie with the lady and her son, like, they're still there, but it's a different, it's, it's totally different. Yes. Yes. And you, you are left with a different feeling. Yeah. Yep. At the end of the book. Yeah. So that's, I think that would associate well with this beer. Ooh. Do you have one in mind? Mm. No, but I'm staring around at the books and thinking. <laughs> thinking. <laughs> I feel like Stephen King's always dark. Exactly. Like that's this. distracting. And John Grisham here, like... Yep. Yep. Uh, scene that reminds me of the Pelican Bay Brief. Mm-hmm. Yep. Pelican Brief? I think it's just Pelican Brief. I think you're right. That one's a little bloody. I haven't read that one. And it's a little dark in its outlook on humanity. Hmm. I can see that tying in. Yeah. Yeah. We'll go with Pelican Brief. John Grisham. I like it. That was one of the... I think that was the first John Grisham book. My cousin gave it to me. Huh. Okay, so now that we've paired, each paired a book with yes. it, <laughs> we should wrap this up. All right. Um, thank you for listening. I've been your host, Lauren McCaffrey, and with me today was Pablo Guzman from Midnight Oil. Thank you for having me. Awesome bookstore. Super cool concept. Cannot wait for the future of this and beer. Yes. And the books. All of it. <laughs> <laughs> You can find me on social media or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, if you want to buy us beer, that's going to be on Patreon or coffee. Thanks for joining us.